You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Are you a diehard comic book collector? Or maybe a lapsed fan? Maybe even someone who has never picked up a comic book in their life. Hi, I'm Remso Martinez. And I'm Mark Clare. Every single Wednesday at the Second Print Comics Podcast, Remzo and I take a deep dive into the storylines, character arcs, moments, and events that made us the fans we are today. Tune in every Wednesday for new episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else podcasts are available. Check out more from the Second Print Comics Podcast at secondprintcomics.com. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. So I don't know how many people I pissed off a couple weeks ago when I said that I'm leaving Virginia because they've sucked all the fun out of it. Um, I don't know why that's so offensive. And uh, I, I think I can understand why. A good chunk of them were my friends. Like, dude, if you move, how will we hang together? And no, man, Virginia's great. We've got hokey football and all this other stuff. But at the same time, they're the same people saying, man, like, screw the governor and all this other stuff. And they've turned this place into a prison. They, they've, uh, man, uh. it's just, it's just like, you know, it's like Wayne's world. It's like, come on, Garth. It's just constant, constant complaining. And like, I get it. We, we, we lived here and we love it here and we're, we're sad to see it change. And we don't know if we could really change it back. And I, I'm of the school of thought of, you know, go where you're happy, go where you're accepted, go where it matches your lifestyle. And I'm sorry. And this is coming from somebody that loves Virginia, thinks that Virginia has great potential as a state, but is looking around saying, no, Virginia. <laughs> I can't stay any longer. This is not a Chris Brown, Rihanna relationship. You can't just keep hitting me and expect me to be cool with it. So I'm, I'm looking around the country and I've got a handful of states that I'm looking to move to. Uh, I will not say them because I don't want any of you moving there when I move there, if I move to one of them. But I also have a list of states I will never return to. One of them is Oklahoma. Why? Because Oklahoma sucks. Uh, I will never go to Kentucky. I will never go to Alabama. On that list is also number one, California, which bothers the living hell out of me because I, I loved California. Who doesn't love the beaches? Who doesn't love Disneyland? Who doesn't love the weather? But uh, over the last decade or so, California has just gone into gone into a frenzy. And with the pandemics and everything else, the stories have basically written themselves. They're one bad day short of a zombie apocalypse. Uh, And they're driving out businesses. They're driving out entrepreneurs. They're driving out what I found to be the one thing that they really, really don't want to kick out, which are the nonprofits providing the culture, providing the resources, providing the things that need to go ahead and help keep a state, keep a people moving in a good direction. Uh, Not really an area that I'm much of an expert in, but I brought somebody who is. Uh, We've got Tamine de Bazorga. Um, I totally screwed that up, Tamine. I'm so sorry. No, you didn't. That was actually really good. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I promise you, I will. I will get a million times better because there's nothing worse than getting somebody's name wrong. And as somebody whose first name is Remso, I totally understand that. But you are a public relations associate for Young Voices. You're also a, com- a columnist for Southern California News Group. You graduated from UCLA with honors, majoring in political science, focusing on international relations and 
American politics. Uh, she began her political career as a California state chair at Young Americans for Liberty, a group I love and was also a part of. And her areas of expertise include foreign policy, national security, higher education, and elections. And just to you know, put the cherry on top, you won the Young Americans for Liberty Activist of the Year Award in 2018 and the UCLA Chancellor Service Award in 2020. I just realized I was at the dinner where you got your award at the Marriott in Reston in 2018. I just remembered that. Oh, yes. Yes. Small world. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. See, you, you throw a couple of libertarians together and they'll they'll have bumped in at one point. I remember that now. Congratulations to everything. And it seems like everything for you is going quite swimmingly. So I got to ask, you're in California. First off, before we get into everything else, why are you still there? <laughs> well, um, good question. Like why? Maybe I should kind of go back and explain to you why I came here in the first place. Um, well, as a lot of people who know me, uh, you know, know this. Um, I am an Iranian immigrant to the U.S. And as a lot of people who have been to Los Angeles know this, this place is the biggest hub for the Iranian community. And, you know, we have the Persian Square here. We have uh, San Fernando Valley, which is uh, where many of the Iranian Americans live. And they own businesses. And a lot of people have been here for generations. We have third generation Iranian Americans that, you know, a lot of people don't even hear about that. Um, so, I mean, just like many other Iranians, I came here to start my life in America because everyone else from, you know, my country came to Los Angeles. Why? Because the weather is amazing. It's very similar to where I come from, you know, amazing weather in Tehran. So, that's why we decided to come here. And I started studying here. Uh, I went to LA Pierce College and then I went to UCLA. So, I mean, well, I was here for school and it was absolutely amazing. But now that I graduated, you know, the good question is, why are you still there? And well, the thing is, I love it here, but at the same time, it's really difficult. I love this state because I really care about it. It's where I call home and I don't want to see it, you know, just go down that black hole. I don't want it to, you know, I don't want one day to think to myself, you know, I left my home country because I could not stand the government. I couldn't stand what was happening there. And I started building a home in California, but now I also have to leave it because I can't stand it anymore because of what happened. I don't want to have that experience again. It was already very difficult. That's why, you know, I decided to be here, be the voice, um, kind of help my fellow um, Liberty people in California to fight for what they care about because we care about our state. It's beautiful. It's not a bad state. It's beautiful. It just has a lot of bad people in power. And that's always what does it. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, like that that's how I feel about Virginia. And that's why I, I don't want to make fun of too many people I know that are just wondering, you know, why not stay and fight? Why not stay and, you know, enjoy the home that you've loved for, you know, more than a decade? And I mean, for me, prior to moving here in 2008, uh, you know, active army family, we moved around a lot. I've always lived basically a nomadic life. Like my home is wherever I end up sleeping and I have a roof over my head. So I don't necessarily have that attachment. And even even as I've lived here, you know, I, I spent several years in Alabama. I spent several years all across the state. So I've, I've always been moving.
moving. But that is one of those things where it's like, you know, if you have a home, if you feel that invested in it, you have an obligation to, to speak out. And, and you recently went ahead and wrote a piece at the Daily News. And folks, I'm going to go ahead and link to Tom and A's piece in the show notes today and make it easier for you. Uh, the title is California's Failed Policies Are Crushing and Driving Out Nonprofits. Now, th- this was really interesting for me because when I think of the people that are being driven out of, you know, New York, California, for example, uh, even some in Michigan, it's primarily businesses. It's primarily young people who can't afford to, you know, cover the rent and things like that. When it comes to the nonprofit space, that that's very interesting. Tell us a little bit about the piece. Uh, absolutely. So, I mean, you're absolutely right uh, regarding the businesses. Uh, we've witnessed a lot of, you know, companies just pack their stuff and leave like Tesla. And a lot of others are talking about doing it and they're pretty serious about it. And it's understandable. Uh, we should also pay attention to the fact that when these businesses leave, they're also taking jobs with them. And, you know, that leaves some vacuum, which is not filled by anything else. And the the speed that you know, that has been happening for the past few years is very way faster than the businesses that are getting started. And, you know, um, this has also caused a lot of issues, just the situation in the state um, for nonprofits, for even a philanthropist group, for those who want to work for their community, because they just can't afford living uh, costs in California, neither for their headquarters, neither for their staff, because, you know, as someone, you know, Personally, I worked in nonprofit sector my entire life. And, um, you know, we don't make a lot of money. Uh, We really care about the cause and uh, we just don't have a, you know, six figure paycheck. So we have to work really hard to make, um, you know, make a living and just consider paying like $2,000 per month for, you know, a tiny apartment in Los Angeles. That's a little bit crazy for someone who barely makes $3,000 a month. I, I um, mean, I saw I saw on Vice News a, a while ago, I think it was actually pre-pandemic. Have you heard of the pod people? No. Okay, there are these people that basically buy a loft and what they have is they've basically turned it into like a storage unit where people – basically live in what is the equivalent of a small storage room and they're called pods. And apparently this is something that was trending in Los Angeles for a while. And you can rent a pod for $12 a day. Uh, You get a sink, you have a communal bathroom and shower and you get a small space. And you know, you you see it's primarily a lot of young people uh, living there. And they're just like, I would rather live here and get to keep most of my money than, you know, live in a place where I at least have some degree of privacy. And as I'm looking at this, I'm just like, this is something out of a dystopian film. This is some (laughs) Hunger Games stuff, but this is right now. And this was before everything else, before the massive unemployment, before everyone had to figure out how to work from home, if they had the luxury of doing that. So I can only imagine what it's like for for people who are just skating by still there. Yeah. And um, as you mentioned, this is before the pandemic and during and after this whole situation, it has been extremely difficult even for people in California. And um, let me just also touch on this, that the issue with living in California is not just the high rents, even though that is a big deal. It's also living conditions. It's also high crime rate. It's um, 
a lot of people struggling to send their kids to a good school because as we know, LA County uh, School District is one of the worst in terms of national recognition and rankings. Um, people are just struggling to build a life here in California uh, right now. And of course, a lot of nonprofits, a lot of philanthropists, a lot of groups that want to hire good staff, they want to have their staff work in a comfortable space, just don't see California as a viable option anymore. And that's very sad because, you know, I personally care about nonprofit. I care about community work. And I don't want to see these nonprofits leaving the state because that means we have less people, less active groups that will serve our community. And that will leave a vacuum which has to be filled either by taxpayer money or by you know, government, which again is is not ideal. You know, as someone who cares about you know limited government and wants more personal freedom, I don't want these voluntary actions like philanthropy and community service be cut out of the picture. And then the California government comes and they're like, okay, now we are going to take over their work, and they can't do that because you know California government is awful. Um, so you see how this is kind of vicious cycle. Uh, as they create this vacuum, more people leave and then more government comes in place and then taxes will increase and there will be less services and things just keep getting worse. Yeah. And I mean, the the one thing that I so I passed this around to a couple friends of mine just to kind of get their thoughts. And, you know, one works in D.C. is a policy analyst. The other one manages a gun range, very blue collar. And we, when I asked them, you know, what do you think about nonprofits being driven out of a state? Their their mindset was a little bit different on each one. You know, the, the friend that lives in D.C. thinks that we're talking about, you know, big think tanks. Typically, when you think of that, it's it's rich people tithing, basically. They put it towards these places that are putting out proposals and white papers for policy. When I brought it up to the other guy, he's thinking of like the ASPCA, the songs of the sad animals and Sarah McLaughlin in, in the background, you know, brings a tear to everyone's eyes, send them a dollar. But what, what you know, the, the term nonprofit encapsulates a lot of stuff. And just two examples from your piece, I'll, I'll go ahead and read them out. Nonprofit colleges are even leaving the state. That was one thing that just completely blew my mind because I never thought of that really being there, but nonprofit colleges exist. Yep. Horizon University, a nonprofit college based in San Diego and operating since 1993, said it would relocate out of state too. In this part, I found funny. Indianapolis. Uh, the other one, wh where is it here? It was right here. Uh, the Cicero Institute. The Cicero Institute is one of the many organizations that could no longer last in California. The Institute is committed to a fight for transparency and accountability in government and open markets, something I think California needs to be Definitely. held to the burner plate on. However, they, they could not serve their community as much as they wanted, given the current state of affairs in our state. And, you know, it's, it's hitting everyone. When it's hitting the colleges, when it's hitting the think tanks, imagine your soup kitchens, your homeless outreach. Think of a nonprofit. They are struggling now more than any time before. So how is it even possible for, for them to, to fill this void? That That is what shocked me. And when you think of a college alone, like that's thousands of staff. It's not just a dean and some teachers. That's cafeteria staff. That's bus drivers. That's custodians. That's admin staff. That's thousands of jobs that are just picking up and leaving. They cannot be replaced. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, as the CEO of California Association of Nonprofits mentioned in one of her op-eds, uh, one in 14 California jobs is at a nonprofit. And uh, California nonprofits bring in more than $40 billion each year from out wow. of state. So nonprofit is actually a really big deal just for our economy. We are one of the biggest economies in the world. And nonprofit work is a huge part of it. And imagine losing one out of 14 jobs in the state, which is already struggling with um, all these like issues such as unemployment, such as homelessness, such as, you know, high taxes. People need to have a, an income. And if a nonprofit leaves the state, you know, their staff have to like either uproot their family, their kids, they have to take them out of school. They, their uh, spouse has to leave their job and then move to a different city. And that's a, that's really difficult. And that's very expensive for a lot of people who work for nonprofits to just move out, you know? And um, also it's just not ideal for a lot of people and they end up like losing their job. And again, a lot of nonprofits can't afford paying their staff some money to move. And uh, so they just have to like cut everyone entirely and go start from fresh, um, which is again, I believe for something like a university that will be even more difficult because they have tenured staff, they have established community in their, where they are, but you know, you can't change the world if you can't pay the rent. <laughs> um, yeah. And I mean, Sister Institute is another example which has decided to move to Texas. And I totally agree with uh, the reason. Okay, you see, that's why Texas is not on my list because everyone from California seems to just be going to Texas. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, you know, they go there for good reasons uh, because it's cheaper. There is not as much taxes. The weather is pretty similar, especially in cities like Austin. It's kind of similar vibe to Los Angeles, even better. I love Austin. Um, and of course, just, you know, as someone who had, I commuted every day to UCLA from San Fernando Valley and I spent like two hours in traffic each way. So, I mean, just imagine that right now with the current housing crisis in cities like Los Angeles or San Francisco, people can't afford living in the city. So they have to live outside of the city. So, and they have to commute to work, but they have to spend like hours driving and that would cut out a lot of time out of their day. You know, they would be tired by the time they get to work. There's a lot of, you know, money being spent on gas, you know, in California, we pay twice as much for gas as you know. Um, but in places like Texas, they don't have to do that anymore. They can just live by where they work. They don't have to spend as much time commuting in traffic. And, you know, that will be way cheaper for them, even for the staff. So, so I got to address the 9,000 pound elephant in the room. One reason why Texas is not on my list is I, I call it the Joe Rogan effect. I really like Joe Rogan. I listen to the show all the time. One of my favorite shows. But but Joe Rogan brought a whole ton of people from California to move to Austin. Austin is now more expensive. And the thing is, even though a lot of people are coming to escape high cost of living, high taxes, crime, et cetera, it's like they go there really with what I consider conservative, limited government beliefs. But then when it's time to vote, it's like they look around and it's like, OK, locals, let us teach you how to run a real society and then they just kind of 
screw it up. And I'm saying that with, with a little bit of a tone because that's what happened here in Virginia. You've got the small area that is all the defense contractors and all of the tech sector and everyone coming from California or from Washington State and New York. And because they just outpopulate everybody, um, they basically dictate the, the results of elections and policies for the rest of the Commonwealth. So it used to be beautiful to live here. You could live here and have a $40,000 a year job and own a house and pay your bills. And now if you're making 60, you're not even really middle class here. So yeah. I've been looking around and it's like, I, it is almost impossible for me. I, I can make a lot of money. I could make a lot of money here. I can make close to six figures and it will still be uncomfortable with just the way that things are of taxes, of cost of living, with everything else that they throw at us, vehicles tax. So so my question with California, and, and you know, it, it might jump into this, is one reason why I don't think that the whole repeal, you know, recall Gavin Newsom thing will ultimately lead anywhere is assume that it happens. Let's, it's a big assumption. And then you said of jungle primary start. I think I think even if he were to be replaced, he would just be replaced by somebody who believes in everything that Gavin Newsom believes, but isn't Gavin Newsom. It's just you've changed the person, but the policies don't change. Yeah, and that is a very, very good question, Remso. Then this is something I've been having a lot of conversations about with my friends and, you know, just people who are active in the community. And that has been the concern for a lot of people who are involved in the policymaking that, you know, it's not just the person. It's more about the system and just, you know, the whole like voting process and how the voters in California behave. However, we've seen a lot of improvements in the past uh, couple, you know, months and especially in the 2020 elections, which was quite controversial. But things kind of turned out well for Californians because it it looks like Californians have have, have been waking up to the fact that, well, these policies that have been, you know, just forced upon us, such as AB5, you know, putting limitations on contract workers or increasing taxes or putting all these like uh, rent laws in place that hurt the landowners and the people who rent, all these things are actually hurting us. And they politicians might sell it to the voters as some progressive policy that, you know, might help the lower middle class. But, you know, no, they don't. And this is not a partisan thing. This is just a reality thing. This is like, you know, econ thing. Um, And in the past election, Californians voted against all these uh, progressive ballot measures, or they actually started uh, voting for more conservative candidates in the elections. We got uh, two uh, Republican members elected in Orange County. We flipped back the seats to red uh, in Orange County, which was exciting to see more conservatives uh, getting uh, back to the office again. So, I mean, I agree with you. There's a lot of issues. We don't know if Gavin Newsom going away will solve anything. But, you know, as someone who lives here, I've, I'm I'm seeing the improvements happening. And that really gives me some energy that, you know, enough is enough. And uh, it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican. A policy that hurts a Republican will hurt a Democrat as well. It's, it's just about um, kind of figuring out, okay, this ballot measure is not what it sounds like. You got to read it. You got to understand it and vote against it um, or vote for it if um, 
you think that would benefit you in a certain way. And I'm, I, I believe that Californians are waking up to the fact. It, it, it's important to really look at what you mentioned a moment ago, which is starting to win on these local issues, which is really starting to target things for the policies themselves and how they're directly impacting people. Um, I, I believe that across the board, that is where the, the Republican Party has ultimately failed because under Trump, they kept saying, well, you know, we're going to be the party of, of the blue collar working class and everything else. But when you look across the board, yeah, Republicans may have been able to maintain a lot federally, but when you look at local and even state races, it, it's it's bit of a scam board at that point. And I mean, the numbers show that, you know, across, um, you know, uh, middle class women, for example, in the suburbs, they're less likely to vote for a Republican candidate, even now. I mean, that it was already trending downward during the Bush years. It, it stagnated during Obama. Now it seems to be getting worse. When it comes to these suburban voters who are making a, a majority of the people who register and show up to vote, because that's that's ultimately what matters. It's ultimately, you know, who shows up to vote. Um, that's a dwindling, you know, constituency for Republicans. How is it, you know, how is it that Republicans in California of all places have at least been able to understand, you know, if we actually focus on the policy itself, we can get it done. Whereas the rest of the country is still trying to figure out, or do we stick with Trump? Do we dump him? Do we bomb Iran? Do we not bomb Iran? It, it seems, it seems like nobody has their act together at all. Yeah. And, uh, so let me just tell you this. I'll, you know, as someone who's been in the grassroots for a long time, uh, a lot of the organizations that work uh, within the conservative um, area, they all have given up on California for the most part. And they're like, oh, it's a lost cause. We're just not going to do anything. It, with it almost Cal seems like that's how they fundraise. Like if you want to save your state and make sure it doesn't end up like California, donate ten dollars now. Exactly. And it's funny, a lot of them actually come to California to raise money from, you know, rich conservatives who live in Bel Air and Beverly Hills, and they never do anything for them. And sometimes I find that really hypocritical that, you know, unfortunately, the country looks at California policies to um, to kind of like learn. And it's a it's a really bad, uh, you know, it's a really bad influence. So um conservatives really need to realize, uh, or just anyone, even, you know, whoever wants to be. And if you're not a literal Maoist, if you like your money and <laughs> you like just being left alone, I think this stuff can be good for you. Yeah, exactly. So they, they should kind of pay attention. Whatever happens in California has the potential to happen to the entire country. So if you give up on California, you're giving up on everyone. And uh, just to give you a very brief example with the AB5 law, the gig law that, uh, you know, passed in California. Can, and then can you, I'm sorry, can you explain that a little bit for people who don't know what that is? Sure, sure. The AB5 law was uh, this, um, you know, this... Uh, assembly bill that passed last year that, uh, you know, prevented the contract uh, workers such as uh, journalists who do freelancing or uh, Uber drivers, Lyft drivers, uh, delivery, uh, they they had to be employed by either their newspaper or Uber or Lyft to continue their business pretty much because they said, okay, these people are not receiving benefits. Therefore, you either have to hire them full time or they can't work for you anymore, which eventually would harm a lot of gig workers because, you know, I'm a freelancer. I do it just because I want to be a freelancer. I want to have my own time. And uh, of course, a lot of freelancers, such as journalists, lost their jobs in California uh, because, you know, they would be capped uh, and the newspapers didn't want to hire them 
of course, full time. That's not how it works. And, you know, uh, companies like Uber uh, started fighting back. They passed Proposition 22, which would protect the Uber drivers to still be filed as a gig worker, as contractors, uh, so they could keep their flexible schedule and things like that, um, just in order to protect both consumers and also the workers uh, from the state itself. Wow. And now we see PROACT coming into action federally, which is pretty similar. Um, And again, this came out of California and a lot of states were waiting to see what happens here, such as New Jersey, such as New York. uh, All these states were just looking at California. And, you know, I think it's a really big mistake for uh, policymakers to ignore Uh, California grassroots organizations to ignore what is happening here just because we are a lost cause. No, we are the model for the entire country. Hollywood sets the tone for the culture across the world. I grew up watching movies happening in Santa Monica all the way in Iran. So, you know, California is important in so many aspects and we can't just afford to let it just go down the black hole of socialism anymore. And I believe the reason that the Californian voters or just active people here uh, started um, waking up to the fact and kind of voting against all these harmful measures was because of the local activist groups speaking up. And a lot of them were not even like Republican or, you know, libertarian. They were just people like people who work for Uber or, you know, all these little groups that were issue oriented and they cared about their jobs and businesses. They started speaking up. They started, um, you know, canvassing and talking to voters and actually advocating for what they cared about. And it worked, you know, grassroots worked uh, on the local level. And I am really happy to see that because we kind of saved our state. Uh, for the most part in the past election. However, it's, I mean, it's not nearly safe, but, you know, we at least did so much better um, in the past election. I mean, even moving an inch back towards sanity is better than going an extra mile towards a cataclysm. Uh, I mean, the Uber thing really bothers me because when, when you have the Uber drivers talking about unionizing and everything, um, <clears throat> when, when I was at FreedomWorks, I wrote a lot about that, uh, especially what was going on in New York when de Blasio wanted to stick Uber drivers under the taxi medallion system. And like, I, I get it. I've spoken with Uber drivers who went to those strikes and everything. And I feel that for people who look at, you know, the free market for the solutions and everything is we're trying to answer emotional questions with logical answers. And ultimately what, what I, what I respond with is Uber was not meant to be your job. If you're depending on Uber to sustain you and to cover all your basic necessities and you're going to use the government to force them to become something they're not uber is not the problem you are the problem now that's kind of a dickish answer as i have been told directly to my face (laughs) but the truth is an inconvenient thing sometimes and i'm i'm even uh, at this agnostic point in my life where it's like i i don't I don't care even if a Democrat wins an election if that means that they're going to do some policies that make sense. I've basically ditched the Republican Party in hopes that they can do really any good. If you're a candidate that wants to go with me on a couple of issues and that's all that we're going to focus on, I will support you for that if you actually end up doing it. If you don't do it, that's going to be a problem. But if you do it, it'll be good. With the the GOP especially, like they – they're, they're they're losing young people. And this is the same argument that they've had for years. But I feel like now 
this is another reset point where I, I believe that whenever, you know, when, when you, sometimes when you got to burn a forest, you, you go ahead and you clean it up. So that way what comes back is stronger and healthier. I almost feel that way about elections and, and with the Republican party. And I know you wrote a recent piece about this. This is their time for reflection. And when you look at some of the cases in California, for example, if that's the front lines of where, you know, it's not the best place to be a conservative. You should look at those victories and think, as we've been talking about, hmm, maybe they're onto something. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. And uh, of course, a lot of young people, my generation, and you know, I'm a Gen Z, and I'm sure a lot of millennials, we care about you know, having the ability to make our own choices. Choices. We are the entrepreneurs. We're the generation of internet. We don't like to be given out instructions and processes and it's like, follow this. No, that's not how my generation works. And of course, we want to have that freedom to make the choices that we want. And we 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 will take the responsibility for that. And unfortunately, what these old school politicians, these like old generation of policymakers are still forcing upon us is the their, you know, their policies that would take away that freedom of making choices. And again, I don't want that. Like, just to give you a very basic example is, you know, I don't want politicians to promise me free college because I know they can't, one, they can't deliver that. And two, I know that that will take away my freedom to choose what I want to study and where and I want to study. These are the study. same people pushing out the nonprofit colleges. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> See how they're pushing out my employers. Like I, as a, you know, young graduate, recent graduate, I can't find a job in my state just because of these same politicians. And well, I, I'm not going to listen to them anymore. And a lot of people in my generation are uh, aware of that. I, I, I don't care how much people on the internet want to, you know, bash on the Gen Z and the millennials calling us, you know, stupid or okay, whatever. Listen, no, listen though, I'm 26. When you started going after parted hair and skinny jeans, we had a bit of a problem with that. <laughs> As somebody who never wore skinny jeans, even I was offended. Oh my god! <laughs> Wait, aren't you like a cusper or something? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you're you're gonna see this after you turn 25. Like 25, I think is like the highlight year for many people, and oh, after I... that, it's just downhill. I'm just happy I still have a full set of hair. Oh, like well, good for you. Friends. Yeah, a lot oh, of guys I know who are in their late 20s. It's it's like there's something in the water because they've got receding hairlines and bald spots. Not a pretty sight. I don't know why you guys are so concerned about your hairlines. Ladies don't care about that, really. <laughs> because, I, okay, li, li, it's having a full head of hair is just nice. It's sexy. It makes a man feel manlier sometimes, and it's just it's just nicer when you when you're a younger guy and you start getting a receding hairline. It's like, did, did you ever see Avengers Endgame? Yes. Okay, you know the scene of Ant Man where it's like they keep testing the time travel thing on him and he keeps keeps coming back at different ages. <laughs> yes. It's yes. like, okay, what are you, dude? Because you keep, you're, you're confusing me right now. You look young, you've got a baby face, but you have a bald spot. What happened? Bad life choices, bad genes? I don't know. Men, keep your hair. Fight for your hair. Love your hair. That's all I got to say about that. Okay, I mean, whatever. I, I respect your freedom to care about your hair. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, that, that divulged fast. Um, Tomine, I've, I've had an absolute blast speaking with you. Please come on anytime you want. I will go ahead and link to your articles in the show notes today's episode. And I'll include in the newsletter this week, folks go ahead and subscribe at 
Remso, R-A-M-S-O, dot substack.com for that. Uh, if people want to catch up with you, follow you, and all that other stuff online, how could they do so? Yeah, you can reach me on Twitter. Just um, just look up D-E-T-A-H-M-I-N-E-H uh, on Twitter, and that's my handle. And you can find me, just DM me anytime. And you can also find me on Young Voices website, young-voices.com. Uh, you will find me on the talent page. I have a profile, so feel free to contact me there as well. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much, Ramzo. Always a pleasure talking to you. Well, folks, you know, it costs you nothing, but it means everything to me. A five-star rating and review would really help the show out because one, it lets people know that we're having great conversations and a ton of fun in the process. Secondly, it lets other people know that we can trend, we can grow, we can go ahead and have the conversations about the topics that truly matter to you. So if you want to go ahead and help us out, expand this conversation, you know, change the world in one small, minuscule way in the better direction. I would greatly appreciate that. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you can find the show on Al Gore's amazing internet. And don't forget, wearelibertarians.com. For everyone at the We Are Libertarians Network, I'm Remsa W. Martinez. Be good, be safe, and I'll talk to you later. Bye. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Like the Chris Spangle Show, Liberty Explained, The Brian Nichols Show, The Boss Hog of Liberty, Freedom Strips with Keaton Tucker, On the Run with Rimzo Martinez, Gingerarchy with Trisha Stewart Mann, Upward Libertarian Activism, and now hear this. Tune in now and we're going to help you sound smarter when talking with your friends. 